True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. It wouldn't be 2020 without a wild weekend in baseball. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Monday, August 31st. Frank Stample here alongside Scott White. And Scott, we have trades. You're about to rip somebody off in Tout Wars. What is going on, man? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's an ethical question, right? Hey, somebody offered me Xander Bogarts for Cattell Marte. I just now noticed it because uh, the the site we play Tout Wars on isn't the greatest. I just now noticed it. It was offered to me on August 3rd. I think uh, too Take much it. time has passed for me to make that move. I'm not totally sure I want to make that move, but I do need home runs. So that's that's hardly the most important thing from the weekend, though. Take Maybe we trade. shouldn't get sidetracked on ethical questions of trade acceptance or not. Yeah, I mean, come on. There are no ethics in fantasy baseball. There are no friends in fantasy baseball. You have a chance to take advantage. You do it, Scott. But today on the show, we will get to some of those trades that are actually happening in real-life baseball. Not in Scott's Tout Wars League. Not in fantasy baseball. There is just a ton going on. Uh, We're going to recap a lot of the weekend. Some waiver wire, most added, most dropped. And a few questions later on. Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. This edition of Oh My Goodness Gracious is brought to you by... Sixto Sanchez and Corbin Burns. Oh my good goodness gracious. Scott, I'm not even giving you the option. I, I'm not giving myself the option. It look, it is time to talk about Sixto Sanchez and Corbin Burns. It feels like it was forever ago that they were awesome on Friday. And just now we're getting the opportunity to talk about these two guys. Sixto Sanchez, seven shutout against the Tampa Bay Rays, 10 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Corbin Burns going up against the Pirates. Great matchup on Friday. Six shutout, one walk, 10 strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on 93 pitches. Scott, I moved Sixto Sanchez, I believe, inside my top 45 starting pitchers as a result of this performance. Yeah, that's pretty easy to do, I think, because that's right around the point where the starting pitchers no longer matter. Sixto Sanchez looks like he matters, for sure. The biggest question coming up from the minors was how many bats would he miss? Because the the stuff rated off the charts, and yet he was... The strikeout rate was unimpressive in the minors, considering. It wasn't terrible, but it was not what you'd expect for a pitcher whose stuff is rated so highly. But man, he uh, 18 whiffs on those 92 pitches, 10 strikeouts. He had, uh, okay, so uh, among those 18 whiffs for Sixto Sanchez on Friday, eight on the changeup, four on the fastball, three on the sinker, two on the slider, one even on the curveball. Assuming he actually has all those pitches. That's how it broke down on uh, StatCast, anyway, on Baseball Savant. So, uh, I mean, he looked awesome. Throws 100 miles per hour. He's a good Ground ball guy, I see no reason why you want to be totally head over heels for him at this point and uh, planning on starting him most of the time. Yeah, and he did it against a pretty good Rays lineup. It's it's like a misfit Rays lineup, but they always find a way to piece things together. And so far this season, they are top 10 in Woba, weighted on base average against right-handed pitching. So it's not like Sixto Sanchez did it against 
I don't know, his own lineup against the Marlins. He actually did it against a pretty good lineup. You mentioned it throws around 100 miles per hour, has a couple of different pitches that he can mess with. Really good command. Only one walk in the start, gets a ton of ground balls. Sixto Sanchez, look, I just hope that he can, you know, carry over and keep this uh, keep this type of performance up. He's going up against the Tampa Bay Rays again this week. I think you leave him in your lineup. And then Corbin Burns is the other one. He's been inconsistent this season, and I realize that. But he is going to be a stud, Scott. I, I truly believe that. We said it before the season. I'm sticking by Corbin Burns. He throws mid-90s with the fastball. He has this cutter that's like 93, 94 miles per hour. He has a sweeping slider, a changeup that he can use to get left-handed pitchers out. 68% rostered Corbin Burns, 64% for Sixto Sanchez. I don't know if there's just some leagues that have kind of given up to this point, but those need to be, I think, close to 100%. Yeah, Corbin Burns has been stuck below 70 for a while now, and it, it kind of baffles me because he has been inconsistent in terms of of innings. Uh, you know, he moved from the rotation to the bullpen back to the rotation. The walks have been kind of high. But everything else, like run prevention, it's been great. His he, He's at 12.8K per nine, 14.4% swinging strike rate. I mean, these are those are top-of-the-charts type of numbers for Corbin Burns. And now that he's able to go six innings, I believe doing so in back-to-back starts, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't be excited about him either. He's relief pitcher eligible, but now starting pitcher eligible too. If that's uh, more of the need in, in your particular lineup, just a, a really exciting pitcher. I, I'm not even that concerned about the walks because it, it hasn't been... Like, you look at his minor league track record, you look at last year in the bullpen, it's 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 not a great walk rate, but it's not terrible. It's not like we were looking at what uh, Josh James did last year, you know? So I, I don't even think... I don't even think you look at that 4.7 walks per nine innings for Corbin Burns and think, so. okay, that's just who he is. He's probably even better. He's, he's, he's probably better than that with the walks, which would make him you know, even better overall. Corbin Burns is at the Cleveland Indians this week, which is a good matchup. If you can find a way to do it, I think you get both Burns and Sixto Sanchez in your lineups this week, especially with Burns' SPARP eligibility. Scott, we have trades, a.k.a. This is the AJ Preller hour because the Padres GM is wheeling and dealing. We also have a lot of uh, players to be named later that are on the move. So let's get things started here on this happened Friday or Saturday. All the all the days just kind of blend together at this point, Scott. The Royals traded for Trevor Rosenthal. The Royals traded away Trevor Rosenthal to the San Diego Padres for outfielder Edward Olivares and a player to be named later. Scott, who's going to close in San Diego? I think it's going to be Rosenthal. I think so. Drew I think, Pomeranz I think so happened to come off the IL the same day. He worked the eighth inning for the Padres. Yeah, Emilio Emilio Pagan, he's, he's struggled all year. He had been closing after they lost Pomeranz, who took over, of course, after they lost Kirby Yates. Uh, Pomeranz is the lefty. They have Pagan a righty, and now they have a second righty in Rosenthal. My, my guess is it's Rosenthal. It may be, it may be a situation where it depends on you know, whether lefties are due up in the ninth, whether righties are, uh, as to how the Padres employ those two. But I would not be dropping Trevor Rosenthal based on this news. Emilio Pagan pitched in the seventh inning on Sunday with the Padres up 8-2. to two. So again, uh, we'll see what happens with this. But I tend to lean with Rosenthal as well being the closer in San Diego. So that means on the other side with the Kansas City Royals, and I don't know if they're done yet. They could still make more moves by the time you're listening to this. I mean, the trade deadline is on Monday. Um, they could still, you know, trade away a few other pieces in that in that bullpen. Who do you think closes in Kansas City now, Scott? So my hunch there, and we have we have less evidence to support this, but I'm I'm thinking it's Scott Barlow who it's between him and Josh Stalmont who, you know, they, they both have the kind of K rate you're looking for in a closer, but Barlow has been better overall. Uh, Stalmont worked the, I, I know he, he worked earlier in the game Sunday and um, they actually gave Jesse Hahn, former starting pitcher, Jesse Hahn. I hadn't heard that name in a while. They actually gave him the save on Saturday night. I believe it was. Yep two out save, but I, 
I don't know. I have a hard time taking that one seriously. Barlow, meanwhile, he didn't work that game. He had worked three of the previous four. So maybe that's why they went to Jesse Hahn. And then, of course, on Sunday, they didn't have a save chance. They didn't bring in Barlow at all. They brought in Salman, like I said earlier in the game. So my hunch is it's going to be Scott Barlow. He's the one I prioritized when picking up a Royals relievers and in, in the leagues where, you know, I'm still, I'm still searching for saves under every rock and in every crevice. This just, this situation screams to me that Mike Matheny is just going to mess around. It's going to wind up being Greg Holland or he'll go back to Ian Kennedy or he'll just kind of mix and match with all these names. And Jesse Hahn, you mentioned got the save over the weekend. I, I would lean towards Barlow as well. I mean, he's been the best in their bullpen outside of Rosenthal, who they traded, but uh, a 1.45 ERA, a 1.01 whip for Scott Barlow this season. So we'll see what happens in their, in their next save opportunity, but Barlow, Stallmont, Hahn, Greg Holland wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me to be in the mix there as uh, well. By, by the way, the other end of that trade, I'm not, I'm not ruling out still, uh, even though I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, Edward Olivares, who, Opened the season getting some at bats for the Padres, but it was inconsistent. He was he was kind of a star in preseason and his minor league numbers last year. Some power, a lot of speed. If he can get more consistent playing time for the Royals, I'm not ruling him him out as a potential five outfielder league option, especially for speed, if if he finds his way into the Royals lineup regularly. The Red Sox traded away their first baseman, Mitch Moreland, to the Padres as well for third base prospect Hudson Potts and center fielder Jason Rosario. Does this matter at all, Scott? Yeah, it does actually, because every time you brought up Mitch Moreland, whose numbers on the year look insane, like an 1100 OPS, I'm like, yeah, but he never starts against the lefties. So how many weeks are you going to feel confident putting him in your lineup? Well, Jace Tingler, who's familiar with him from the time the two spent together in Texas, he says he plans to play him at DH virtually every day, lefties and righties. So that, to me, Moreland's, Moreland's stock goes way up. Now, historically, he hasn't been great against lefties, but I've always been of the impression that I'd rather the guy be in the lineup than not because even if it drags down his batting average some, like you just, it's just hard for me to justify a guy who's only playing two thirds of the time. Yeah, and it's much easier to justify in a points league because you just want that volume. In a roto league, I can understand not wanting Mitch Moreland to play because then he'll hurt your batting average, and you just don't need as much volume in general. But in a points league, it definitely helps. Mitch Moreland's roster percentage on CBS is fifty percent. Scott, how much should that be now that he's with the Padres and you expect him to play every day? So there's still the question of, is he actually good? Good. <laughs> yeah, because it's an 1177 OPS, by the way. Oh but he's gosh. a 34-year-old who's never in a full season. He only has one 800 OPS season, or two, actually. Uh, he, I mean, he deserves to be up in more than 50%. I don't know that he deserves to be more than like 65%. But some of those deeper lineup leagues with the corner infield spot. He probably deserves to be picked up in some of those. The fallout on the other side, again, is for the Red Sox. Bobby Dalbeck is their, uh, one of their top prospects, and he is 9% rostered. He was a third-base prospect. He has third-base eligibility. He can play first base. He played first base on Sunday in his debut, so he is going to have dual position eligibility Definitely has some pop. He homered in his first game to opposite fields right around Pesky Pole. He has 59 home runs over the last two minor league seasons for the Red Sox, but he strikes out a decent bit, Scott. I would expect someone who is going to hurt your batting average here, but can provide some pop. Yeah, maybe. He certainly has a reputation as the three true outcomes guy and the minors walks a lot, strikes out a lot, hits home runs, and he'll hit a lot of home runs. But last year, he actually lowered his strikeout rate between double and triple A. He lowered it to less than 25%. It was up over 30 every year before that. I mean, he was looking like a poor man's Joey Gallo, basically. But it really cut down on those strikeouts last year. It, it didn't get much attention because he still hit 239. But 
a big drop in BABIP, obviously, for him to hit for a lower batting average while striking out a lot less. So I'm not... so there's a chance he kind of broke through as a hitter last year. And just because of bad luck, it didn't show up in the numbers. I'm, I'm very interested in watching Bobby Dahl back. And in any league where you're hurting for power, like I f- picked him up in tout wars uh, this week, that's a 15 team roto league. So, you know, it's on the deeper side for sure, but I have some interest there. Do you think he should be owned in 12 team roto leagues for now, Scott, that have the corner infielder? Probably not. I mean, it depends how, it depends how badly you need power, how badly you need an extra corner infielder. Fair enough. The Padres also acquired Austin Nola in a much bigger trade. The Padres received Nola, Dan Altavia, and Austin Adams from the Mariners, and the Mariners in return received Ty France, Taylor Trammell, Andres Munoz, and Luis Torrens. I would imagine that this is actually a bad move for Austin Nola's fantasy value, Scott, because I don't know that he's going to play as much as he did before in Seattle, where he would get some time at DH, would get some time at first base. I think that he's going to catch probably the majority of the time for the Padres, but they also acquired Jason Castro. So I think this is like a net negative for Austin Nola. It may, of course, it may just erase what Tingler said about Mitch Moreland too, about him playing every day. Right. Maybe <laughs> maybe AJ Preller heard that and was like, oh man, I better get him a platoon partner at DH. <laughs> Yeah, it seems likely that more. It seems more likely to hurt Austin Nola's value than I always got to remember. I say the right first name with Nola. Austin, yeah, Austin Nola's fantasy value seems like it would hurt more than it would help. Nonetheless, there have been so few contributors at catcher that it's not like you know I'm hitting drop now as somebody who has Nola. Like I'm, but let's see how it goes. Ho- hopefully, he doesn't lose too much time. Yeah, you definitely hold on to Noah because the catcher position, and we talk about it a lot, it's it's just been an absolute crapshoot. Keep him on your team, but keep the expectations realistic for Austin Nola. The Angels traded away your boy, Scott, Tommy Listella to the Oakland A's for Franklin Barreto, and then the Angels placed Franklin Barreto on the COVID IL. I think this is kind of a similar situation to Austin Nola. I don't think you just have to drop Tommy Listella or anything. I don't think you should, but I think no. this is probably a net negative because it's a negative park shift for Tommy LaStella. Well, Angel Stadium's not a good place to hit. No, it's not. I don't know. I, I wasn't viewing it that way. I was, and you know, the Angels, uh, the Athletics, sorry, have been really, really hurting at second base. So I, I definitely think the playing time is going to be there for Tommy LaStella. Uh, might, yeah, he wasn't really hitting that high in the Angels lineup anyway. So yeah, I, I, I see this as basically a, a lateral move for Tommy LaStella and not not changing his value at all. The Orioles traded away Michael Givens to the Colorado Rockies. Scott, do you expect Daniel Bard to continue closing or do you think Michael Givens might be in the mix here? It was weird how the Orioles didn't just make Michael Givens their closer either last year or this year, especially this year, because this year he seems to be back on track with... Awesome numbers, 138 ERA in 12 appearances, 19 strikeouts in 13 innings. Big bat misser. And that's what he's been for most of his career. So I suspect he'll just slot in as the closer for the Rockies. The only hesitation Mm. there is that he hasn't been a closer before. But, you know, neither has Bard. And uh, it's not like Bard has been locked down since they moved him into the role. That is fair. Michael Givens is 14% rostered, Scott. If Daniel Bard was your first, your worst reliever in a Roto League, would you drop him for Michael Givens? I done did it in Tout Wars. Oof. I done did it. Fair enough. All right, a few more trades to get to. Not that these really matter all that much, but the Pirates traded away Gerard Dyson to the White Sox. The Rays traded Jose Martinez to the Cubs for a player to be named later. And no, I lied. This is probably the biggest news of the weekend. How did I even, how did, Take me this long to get to it. The Orioles traded away Tommy Malone to the Atlanta Braves, Scott. Man, I mean, you, what a crazy move. This, their rotation <laughs> problems are solved. They, they flew him in on a private jet so that he wouldn't have to go through COVID intake and they wouldn't have to put him on the COVID IL like the Angels did with Franklin Barreto. They threw him in, flew him in on a private jet so that he could start Sunday's game against the Phillies. 
and he promptly gives up seven earned runs in two and a third innings. So I hope the Braves are very much in the mix for Mike Clevenger and or Lance Lynn. And it sounds like they are. Those are a few of the uh, other big names that are being discussed right now as the trade deadline approaches. And of course, we will update you on those trades tomorrow. Clevenger, Lance Lynn, Joey Gallo's name has been thrown around, Josh Hader, Starling Marte, Archie Bradley, and a few other names as well. So we'll see what happens. It's it's a fun time. It's a crazy time to be a baseball fan and a fantasy baseball player. Some other news and notes. Gavin Lux was actually called up over the weekend. He picked up his first two hits on Sunday. And I plan to slot him in as my 16th second baseman in the ranks. Scott, just behind Jeff McNeil, Robinson Cano, and Jake Cronenworth, just ahead of Eduardo Escobar and Tommy Edmond. Does that sound like it makes sense for Gavin Lux? Yes. The ones you're slotting ahead of him, I might have in a different order. Okay. But yeah, that sounds like the right place to put him among those five. Ronald Acuna left Sunday night's game against the Phillies with hamstring tightness. Manager Brian Snitker said on the ESPN broadcast that he expects Acuna to be in the lineup Monday, which sounds very optimistic. And I believe there is an early game Monday, so make sure you're paying attention to uh, what's happening and setting your lineups before that game. Worth gets noting, started. they had a ten nothing lead at the time they took him out. True. It very quickly became 10-7. <laughs> it may have been 10-1, to 1 actually, but they had a huge lead. So, uh, you know, they they took their foot off the gas, I guess, uh, I guess the way Fernando Tatis was supposed to with only a seven-run lead. Right, right, right. Uh, that's a good point that you bring up, man. But, look, anything can happen when Tommy Malone is on the mound, Scott. Uh, I mentioned there is an early game on Monday at 1 o'clock, the Mets and the Marlins. At 2 o'clock, you have the Orioles and the Blue Jays. And at 4 o'clock, you have the Mariners and the Angels. So just pay attention to those and, and make sure to set your lineups. The Yankees optioned Davey Garcia to their alternate site after his start Sunday. And it was a fantastic start. Six innings of one-run ball. The one run that was allowed was an unearned run. Zero walks, six strikeouts, seven swinging strikes on 75 pitches. Mainly four seam and the curve. Uh, he averaged around 92 miles per hour on his fastball. Scott, he could be back on Friday as the 29th man once again as the Yankees have a doubleheader with the Orioles. He is 23% rostered and one of the most added players on CBS right now. Yeah, I I don't see why they couldn't have kept him instead of Michael King. I don't know what the big deal with Michael King is. It was nice that Garcia didn't walk anybody because walks were a big problem for him in the minors last year. I was a little surprised he didn't miss more bats than he did, but you know, major league debut. So, uh, he's, he's on the list of pitchers to consider adding. I don't think he'll be down for long. I wasn't so blown away by his debut that it's a huge priority for me off the waiver wire. I'm, I'm frankly more interested in the guy who came back for the white Sox and started on Saturday or Sunday. And that guy is Dane Dunning. That's who I'd be prioritizing over Davy Garcia. That's D-E-I-V-I-G-A-R-C-I-A. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning. Remember Dane Dunning, Frank? Oh, remember I remember. how he made his debut against the Tigers a couple weeks ago. Mono a mono against Casey Mize in his debut, actually, and had 17 whiffs on 73 pitches. Well, he comes back for the White Sox, Dane Dunning does, and pitches a gem against the Royals. And that gem, he didn't allow a single hit in five innings. He struck out seven. This time he had 13 swinging strikes on 79 pitches. He looks great. He looks really good. And the minor league track record is very strong. He doesn't have a lot of prospect type, but getting a lot of whiffs with that slider, especially. I, you know, I wish, I wish his first two appearances weren't against the against the Tigers and Royals. It'd be nice if we could see him tested against a tougher lineup. But that there's no way that's that's preventing me from picking him up. That's. You know, unless you're in a league where Sixto Sanchez or Corbin Burns were available, that's the most exciting pickup from the weekend, Dane Dunning. 17% rostered, and I mentioned uh, Davey Garcia is all the way up to 23%. So he's already rostered in more leagues 
than Dane Dunning. And I think that's just like the Yankees prospect tax that you have to pay. And I agree. I would rather have Dane Dunning as well. And if all things go well, he should be starting against the Royals again this week. So let's hope he remains in the rotation. He should, considering Gio Gonzalez was placed on the IL Sunday. Keegan Aiken, former second-round pick for the Baltimore Orioles, will make his first career start on Monday. Any interest, Scott? No. No. Let's see how he does. J.D. Martinez was pulled Sunday after getting hit by a pitch on the wrist. X-rays came back negative. He is batting 208 with a 674 OPS. The quality of contact is way, way down for J.D. Martinez, so... Hopefully he gets better. Maybe he's been dealing with something, but it has not been a great season. Look, and this has happened for a lot of early round picks we've already uh, talked about so far this year. Marcus Semien is dealing with soreness in his left side. An MRI was taken on Saturday and showed no structural damage. Michael Pineda, who is returning from suspension, will make his season debut for the Twins on Tuesday against the White Sox, which might make him a two-star pitcher, Scott. Is that correct? I, I have him down for a two-star pitcher. As a two-star pitcher, of course, no guarantees. I added him to my 10 sleeper pitchers for the upcoming week. The second matchup is against the Tigers. Not that the Whites... I mean, the White Sox have a good offense, but they strike out a lot. So that that's not such a bad first matchup either. I suspect... You know, I'm not sure Pineda will be allowed to go five in that first start because, well, he is stretched out from his time working out at the alternate training site. Generally, those... The, the the number of pitches somebody throws down there aren't treated the same way as in an actual game. But, you know, we've been surprised before, obviously, with Tristan McKenzie and Ian Anderson both going six as soon as they were called up. Maybe Pineda will. And as I pointed out on Thursday's show, or Friday's show, I believe, uh, Pineda was really strong down the stretch for the Twins last year before he got suspended. Uh, just... I don't have the numbers pulled up, but it, it seemed like it seemed like he was getting his changeup to behave like a true third pitch, and his numbers really took off. His last I, okay, I got the numbers here now. His last eleven starts a two seventy six ERA, seventy three strikeouts and sixty five in a third innings, and of course he's always been a good tr- control guy. So Michael Pineda is behind Dane Dunning as far as starting pitcher pickups go, but he's pretty high priority for me. rostered is Michael Pineda. Charlie Morton, who is dealing with a shoulder injury, is on track to rejoin the Rays rotation on Tuesday or Wednesday against the Yankees. Elvis Andrus, dealing with a back, is expected to be activated for the Rangers' road trip, which begins Tuesday. Walker Bueller, dealing with a blister through a 30-pitch bullpen session Saturday. His IL stay should be a short one. J.D. Davis left game two of Sunday's doubleheader against the Yankees with a left hip issue. He was hit by a fastball on his hip on Saturday against the Yankees, which might have still been affecting him on Sunday. And we have another mini, hopefully it doesn't get out of hand, COVID uh, situation with the Oakland A's where one of their, one of the people in their organization, I don't know if it's, if it was specified whether it was a player or, um, just like a manager or, or someone I else. I didn't see. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see. But, but someone yeah, in their as organization. As far as I know, just one positive yeah. test. And yeah. usually in those cases, you know, obviously they're testing everybody the next few days. But the turnaround time for the team playing has been quicker for that than when, you know, there's positive test after positive test turning up. So, so would, would you start your A's this week, Scott? That's the question. Not if, not if I could help it. Uh, I mean, Marcus Simeon, no, because he's also dealing with the injury. You know, Mark Canna, I'd probably avoid. Who else is a must from that? Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, the Mats. Yeah, it would depend on if I could find a good enough alternative. I'd be, I'd be a little, I'd be a little fearful of it, and and the Mariners as well, because that's the first series they're scheduled to face. Uh, it's possible that, that could get axed still, or at least the first two games from it, maybe a doubleheader on the third day. Uh, second series the A's are in line to face in line to play is against the Padres. Not so worried about that. That one is probably safe unless more positive tests turn up. Yes. So pay attention to your Oakland A's. Some week outs, weekend standouts. We'll start with some waiver wire names here, Scott. And 
some hitters that stood out to me. Nick Madrigal was activated on Friday. He went three for four on Sunday with an RBI and his first career stolen base. He is 38% rostered. He plays seven games this week. Ryan Mountcastle, three hits on Sunday, including a double dong. His first and second career home runs for Ryan Mountcastle, three RBI, two runs scored in his first eight games to six strikeouts and four walks. He has dual eligibility, first base and outfield eligibility, 29% rostered. He has seven games this week. And then Willie Adamas, who is someone we've talked about before, but we always kind of gloss over him. Two more hits on Sunday, including a grand slam, his fourth homer of the season. He's batting 283 with an 886 OPS. His hard contact is way up. He is striking out a lot. He is 35% rostered. All three of these names are below 40% on CBS Sports. Scott, Madrigal, Mountcastle, Willie Adamas. How would you rank those three in terms of your interest? Mountcastle, Madrigal, and Willie Adamas, a distant third. His XBA is only 250. His X slug is only 419. He's obviously outperforming both. As you mentioned, the strikeout rate for Willie Adamas is terrible. So I don't have a lot of trust in him, but excited. The Mountcastle's up. He's not, he hasn't buried himself in strikeouts yet. Hit his first two home runs. Seven game week coming up. Excited about him. Madrigal. I don't know that I'm activating him everywhere, but a guy who should hit for batting average and steal bases. So in Roto Leagues especially, he he deserves to be more than 38% rostered. Yes, I agree. And it's, it's going to be harder to get him in in head-to-head points leagues, but Roto, as you mentioned, you're hurting at second base, you need a middle infield spot, even utility if you need stolen bases. Uh, Madrigal is someone who can definitely help there. Uh, I said last week that I would start Ryan Mountcastle over Josh Bell. Josh Bell's starting to heat up a little bit, Scott. He is. He is, as a matter of fact. He homered twice over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And not only that, but six strikeouts in his last nine games. That's that's encouraging. I mean, it doesn't mean he's over the hump with the strikeouts, but the strikeouts were really uncharacteristic for him. And so if he's cut down on those, then, then maybe it's all about to round a deform here. I'd be, I'd be reluctant to sit him this week. After you've already suffered through so much misery, like you want to get the good end of that too. It'd have to be a pretty good alternative. They have an eight. They have eight games coming up. The Pirates do. A lot of teams are playing eight games this week, by the way. Yeah, I know you mentioned Hosmer and Cronenworth. You still start those two names over Josh Bell, Scott? I don't know that I would this week. Okay. They only have six games. Three are against lefties, at least if nothing changes. Not saying either of them is a bad start. I think I'd be looking to get Josh Bell active. Fair. Some of the waiver wire pitchers from the weekend, uh, we already spoke about. Look, Burns must add, obviously. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, Dane Dunning, Michael Pineda, uh, Davey Garcia, a name that we've already mentioned. But a few others here. Tyler Malley on Friday, six and two-thirds, two hits, two earned, 11 strikeouts, 19 swinging strikes, on 106 pitches, went heavy with the slider in Friday, starting against the Cubs. 12 of his whiffs came on the slider. He is 30% rostered. Tony Gonsolin was at the Rangers on Sunday. Wasn't great, wasn't bad. Three innings, one run, five strikeouts, but only 62 pitches. Uh, he faces the Rockies at home this week. Matthew Boyd going up against the Minnesota t- uh, Twins on Saturday. Six innings, two runs, only one of those were earned. Six strikeouts, zero walks. This is now two solid starts in a row for Matthew Boyd. His two best starts of the season where he has gone change-up heavy. Taiwan Walker traded to the Toronto Blue Jays in his debut. Six shutout, four strikeouts. He has quality starts in four of his last five. And then Jay Happ on Saturday against the Mets was great. Seven and a third, shutout, five strikeouts, zero walks. And according to Fangraphs, he is throwing a split finger fastball this year, which is something that he has never done. He is 55% rostered. So, Scott, rank for me, Mally, Gonsolin, Matthew Boyd, Tywan Walker, and Jay Happ. I'm going to go Boyd number one. Really encouraged by the last two starts. He faced the Twins and didn't give up any home runs. I mean, that is that <laughs> is an accomplishment for that guy specifically. And maybe he's finally figured out the right pitch mix here. Encouraging stuff. 
Mally, he might have figured out the right pitch mix too. He really has. He seems to have a really good slider now. Uh, was always so fastball heavy in his career. Struggled to face the lineup. You know more than. I think he'd struggle through the second time. The second time through the lineup, even. But he's been much better when that with that this year. Been in and out of the rotation, and even now, they have six healthy arms. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know if they're to the point where they're going to give Mali preferential treatment over Anthony Desclafani. So that's my hesitation there. They do have. Uh, they do have a need for both this week with the doubleheader coming up. So we're not going to find out the answer to that for a while. So Boyd, Malley, then probably Gonsolin, then Walker, who I don't see much in the underlying stats. To Even though the ERA is good, I don't see a lot to get excited about there. And then J-Hap bringing up the rear. Uh, no love for my Yankees, J-Hap. I get it. It's, it's fine. Um, for Taiwan Walker, he's at the Red Sox this week. They are 25th in Woba against right-handed pitching this season. What do you think about Walker in that start, Scott? If you have him on your team, starter sit Taiwan Walker. Against Boston, you said? Yes. At Fenway. He's not in my 10 sleeper pitchers for this upcoming week, but you could do worse. I, I think if it was like a daily league situation, I think I'd plan to start him. I okay, think. and these names are all behind Dane Dunning, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're all behind Dunning. By the way, I started to rethink that Josh Bell over Eric Hosmer and Jake Cronenworth thing because though the Pirates are playing eight games, they got some really tough pitchers. I think I'd probably stick with Hosmer and Cronenworth, but I yeah. still would try to get Bell in the lineup <laughs> if if I did have an opening. And I would start Mountcastle over Bell. It, it, it might be a little reactionary. I'm a big Mountcastle fan. I, I was waiting for him to come up last year patiently. I was holding him on every team. I think the kid can play. I like what I've seen from the plate discipline thus far. Good ballparks yeah. to hit in in Camden as well. I, I'm pretty excited about Ryan Mountcastle. Not that I don't like Josh Bell. It's just he he has struggled. I, I've been high on Mountcastle for a while now, too, to the point that I thought I may have been overhyping him in spring training. But, uh, I, you know, decent matchups for the Orioles this week. I I do think I'd start Bell over Mountcastle, but I, I do like Mountcastle as a sleeper hitter this week. Scott. Now that I'm hosting, we can overhype Ryan Mountcastle together, which is what I'm excited about. <laughs> I compared about. him to Nick Castellanos before the season started. Ooh. That was before I went Nick Castellanos crazy. So right. it was like an old <laughs> standard for Castellanos that I was comparing him to. But then when he got called up, I started throwing around these Jose Abreu comps. That was before Jose Abreu had that weekend <laughs> where he homered six times. So I keep like, my comps keep, 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 you know, they keep, they keep elevating they keep making themselves. themselves so they don't apply anymore. They keep right. disqualifying themselves as Mountcastle comps. <laughs> well, hopefully Mountcastle just continues to climb with some of those names that you have compared him to as well. The weekend drop-o-meter, Scott. Casey Mize against the Minnesota Twins on Sunday. He wasn't bad. The problem was he only pitched three innings. He had four strikeouts, two earned runs, only 67 pitches. What is the drop-o-meter for Casey Mize? It's probably about a six. I'd prefer not to, but if, you know, I'd, I'd drop him for Dane Dunning. I'd drop him for Michael Pineda. Uh, yeah, it's there, there are definitely some names out there I'd drop him for because I don't see myself using him until he shows he can go at least five. Yeah. It's, has he gone five yet? No, I don't think he, has. he has not pitched. Uh, I believe his debut, he went four and a third, the same mm-hmm. as Dane Dunning, and that was... Uh, the furthest he went in any start. Randy Dobnak basically got hit with all of his regression in one start on Saturday against the Tigers, too. It's It was a great matchup for my boy, the stash, Randy Dobnak. Four and a third, 12 hits, six earned runs. Even with that, his ERA is, is now up to 3.12. He is 84% rostered, Scott. Dobnak, drop a meter. He was, he was due for some regression. Ground ball pitchers, and he is among the most extreme. They give up some hits sometimes, but only two of those 12 hits were for extra bases. They were both doubles. I still think he's a good a good, a good, good enough source of ERA and a stable enough pitcher that you're going to want him in your lineup more often than not based on what the pitching crop looks like. Not a stud. I never claimed he was a stud, but I do think he's good enough 
So where is he on the dropo meter? Is he? Would you oh, rather yeah, drop him exercise, or right? Him or Casey Mize? Who would you drop first? I would drop Mize first. I'll put Dobnak as a five. Luke Weaver was back to puke Weaver on Saturday against the Giants. Again, it's Dobnak. We like the matchup. Luke Weaver was pitching well. And if you were in a daily league, I would have said, all right, go ahead and start Luke Weaver against the Giants. Eh, three innings, eight hits, four earned, one walk. Still had a ton of strikeouts, six strikeouts for Luke Weaver on Saturday. Where is he on the drop meter, Scott? He is probably an eight, maybe a nine. Yeah, it's uh, he has like his fastball and changeup have both been getting more whiffs this year. Like in that way, he looks better, but he's just getting knocked around too much. Yeah, it's it's tough to trust him too. Like it looked like he was getting back on track, but we've seen so much bad and not nearly enough good out of Luke Weaver. So. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm alright dropping him for a lot of the names that we mentioned, especially if you need a starting pitcher heading into Week Seven. Sandy Alcantara was back on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Rays, and he kind of wishes that he weren't because he allowed eight runs, five of those were earned over four innings pitch. Uh, it was his first start back from COVID, 69% rostered. He is at Tampa Bay this week. Scott, if you were waiting for Sandy Alcantara and you're seeing all these other names pop up around you. Where does he rank on the dropometer? Would you drop him for someone like Michael Pineda or Dane Dunning? Yeah, I think so. I'd put him at about a six, like Mize. Rather not drop him. It, the velocity was there, so if if you had faith in him in the first place, and his first start before the COVID outbreak was very good, I'd still prefer to hold on to Alcantara, but there are higher priorities. Chris Bassett has a 5.95 ERA over his last four starts. He got off to a nice start this season, but seems like he is crashing back down to earth. He is 75% rostered. It's got drop meter on Chris Bassett. That is probably about a 9, if not a 10. There's, there's not much reason to give him special preferential treatment. I've got to ask this last name, and it hurts, Scott. It hurts so much. But Frankie Montas on Saturday at the Houston Astros, three and a third, six hits, five earned, two walks, five strikeouts. Strikeouts still there. He has allowed 18 earned runs over his last three starts. That is the equivalent of a 16.76 ERA. 92% rostered is Frankie Montas. What are we doing, Scott? Hate to say it, Frankie, but I'm worried about our boy Frankie. Because, because I... I've been harping on the splitter usage, right? It's been, it was down at the start. It went up a little bit. It's been back down again recently. But based on the way the splitter is performing, it makes perfect sense because Frankie Montas, uh, remind me, did they start Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Saturday. Frankie Montas' splitter. Some bad news here on the splitter, if I can find it. Yes, I can. So, Last year, his splitter, it yielded a 155 batting average and a 107 ISO. 155 and 107. This year, that splitter, a 368 batting average and a 316 ISO. Now, the whiff rate is still Darn. high on it, but that's getting too hard. <laughs> that's that's getting hit too hard for him to, to really be throwing it that much. So that was the key to his breakthrough last year. If he doesn't have that splitter anymore... Uh, bad times ahead. So on the drop meter, I'd give him probably a seven. A seven? Yeah. A se- Scott, you would drop Frankie Montas before you would drop Casey Mize and Sandy Alcantara? I think that's what I'm saying, yeah. Oh. Clearly you disagree. No, did, no. Look, did, my, look. did my splitter argument you laid it make out. a strong enough impression? You laid it out beautifully, and uh, man, I hear you. Oh, gosh. This is one of those things where I just I think I just don't want it to be true. I think like I have too much emotional attachment here to Frankie Montas, but yeah, you know, I got to take a step back, and sometimes you got to do that in fantasy base. We have to remove the emotional attachment. Me personally, I would still drop. I would stop drop Mize and Alcantara before I would drop Montas. But all right, it's let getting me up sober there. up a little here. <laughs> it's probably like Maybe. a four for me for Montas. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. 
I don't have a lot of trust in Montas anymore, but what is my trust level in those two? It's it's not super high either. It's it's really a stashing for the upside situation for all three. Okay. I'll put him on the same level, a six, as those two on my drop a meter. But it's it's not it's not so far fetched that you would drop Montas, is what I'm trying to say. No, it's not, especially in like a ten team league. I can I could definitely I could definitely see doing that. Do it for Burns, definitely. You do it for uh Sixto Sanchez. Sixto. Yeah. Uh do it for Dunning. I think I would. Mm, okay. Pineda? I might draw the line there. I might mm. have to see how Pineda's first start goes. Okay. I would say bench Montas this week. He is at home against the Padres, but the Padres Definitely. lineup has been hot. And Definitely bench him. Yeah. You I, know, I'd rather I, see I, him. I'd have, I have to see him have a really good start again before I'd start Montas. I mean, his ERA yeah. is up over five now. The last three starts have been so bad. Yeah, it's 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 been a rough go. All right, move on from the waiver wire. We'll take a quick break here. Want to quickly remind people that for more than a decade, Fantasy Football Today has been delivering league-winning analysis and advice as part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Now they're coming to you fast with a brand new feed. Don't worry, the old one will stay the same. The Fantasy Football Today in 5 podcast is your audio outlet for fantasy news and advice in five minutes or fewer. It'll... Fe- Feature familiar voices like Adam Azer and the rest of the FFT crew, Jamie Eisenberg, Dave Richard, Heath Cummings, and Ben Gretsch as they break down what matters most to help you win your league in a quick-hitting format available first thing in the morning. On Monday, August 31st, you can subscribe to FFT in 5. Monday through Friday, download and subscribe to FFT in 5 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, your smart speakers, and anywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we have a bunch more to get to regarding this weekend. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. We're back here on Fantasy Baseball today. Before we get into some of these clusters of players from the weekend, I do want to talk about some of these deeper league potential ads. Scott, I'll just... Mention a name, what they did. You tell me your interest level in deeper leagues. Leody Tavares, someone we mentioned before, prospect for the Rangers, has started six straight games, at least one hit in five of them. He hit his first home run over the weekend, 5% rostered, six, six games this week. Leody Tavares. Yeah, I'm not sure. There, there's not a strong offensive track record in the minors, so he has to do a lot more than this to get me interested. Justin Dunn was at the Angels this weekend. Six shutout, only one hit allowed, four walks. Don't love that. Six strikeouts over his last two starts. 12 innings pitched, two hits, 12 strikeouts. Justin Dunn, 10% rostered. He faces the Rangers this week, Scott. Two total hits over his last two starts? Yeah. Wow. Hmm. My interest level is growing. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a high threshold to beat its starting pitcher, but... Like he was borderline top 100 type prospect. And uh, yeah, I think it bears watching. Josh Fleming was at the Marlins on Saturday. Five and a third, three hits, zero earned, zero walks, six strikeouts, 11% rostered. Josh Fleming faces the Marlins again this week, Scott. I've actually picked him up in a few 15-team leagues and I'm starting him. Yeah, I'm. it's been a 
the first two starts have been good, and who knows what kind of progress he'd been making at the alternate site before he got called up. But it's a guy who was consistently below 7K per nine in the minors. I'm not that interested. A pair of Tigers. Miguel Cabrera has 10 hits over his last five games. He is 30% rostered. His batting average is 241. Expected batting average, 294, Miguel Cabrera. And then Jamer Candelario has homered in back-to-back games. He has multiple hits in three of his last four. He is 14% rostered. A pair of Tigers here, Scott. They're both kind of interesting. I, I think it's too early in a standard league to, to, to jump at them. But Miguel Cabrera... You mentioned that two two ninety four xba. It's it's a it's a four eighty one x slug too, and Candelario similar now two ninety two xba four eighty two slug. Of course, Candelario's been so hot that I think his actual batting average and slug are both higher than that. Yeah, they are. Uh, Candelario looks like he's made some changes to approach. Actually, walking less. He was a guy who always walked a lot, but hitting more line drives than it may be. It may be more appropriate and a more appropriate level of aggression for him. Sometimes the emphasis on walks can hold a hitter back. So I'd be keeping an eye on those two and picking them up only in an emergency situation right now, though. Garrett Cooper had two hits on Sunday. He actually returned for the Miami Marlins this weekend, uh, hit a home run on Sunday with four RBI. He has dual eligibility, first base and outfield, 10% rostered. Garrett Cooper. He's always been kind of interesting, got an extended look last year and didn't end up doing that much. So I'm not super excited to pick him up, but is I could definitely see him being a sleeper hitter in future weeks if he gets hot. Brian O'Grady, admittedly never heard of this guy before Sunday. Outfielder for the Tampa Bay Rays, two hits on Sunday with a stolen base. He had 28 homers and 20 steals in the minors last season, hit 280 with a 909 OPS, but he's old. He's 28 years old. Brian O'Grady. Yeah, interest level's pretty low. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. The Rays well, obviously have a ton of options. We will leave it there. Jason Hayward, 15% rostered. He has three home runs in his last three games. He is hitting a ton of line drives, Scott. Jason Hayward. Yeah, a ton of line drives and... His expected numbers are pretty pretty wild too. He has an expected batting average of over 300. Yep. And that, that is in the 91st percentile. Yeah. Yeah, it's not common to see. And the ex-woba I think is like 420 something. Really high. I mean, ex-woba is weighted like on base percentage. So, you know, it takes into account more than just on base percentage, it takes into account the full spectrum of players offensive production, but it's weighted like OBP. So, 420 is really, really good. Not hitting the ball especially hard. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how it, how he comes to have those expected stats, Jason Hayward. But I'm not, I'm not somebody who's just going to ignore them. If I need an outfielder, uh, he's he's pretty interesting. Yeah, especially in deeper roto leagues, the Cubs do play seven games this week. He's only 15% rostered. That number should probably be higher for Jason Hayward. We had signs of life from these players. Over the weekend, we mentioned Josh Bell. He has homered in back-to-back days. He has six hits over his last four games. A pair of Dodgers, Max Muncy, hit his ninth home run Saturday. He has three home runs in his last seven games. Cody Bellinger hit his 10th home run and stole his third base of the season on Sunday. He is betting 378 over his last 10 games. Rafael Devers went four for four with a double dong, three RBI and three runs scored. On Sunday as well, he's coming around. I think it was like three or four games before this. Slowed down again. He's been inconsistent, but we are starting to see some more of these uh, bigger games out of Rafael Devers. Joe Adele hit his first two home runs of his career on Saturday. He is struggling mightily outside of that. Uh, his teammate Griffin Canning finally got back on track Sunday against the Mariners. Eight innings of one-run ball, seven strikeouts. And then Reese Hoskins, back-to-back multi-hit games. He has a home run in four of his last six. So a lot of names on this list, Scott, that people have been freaking out, asking, what do I do with Reese Hoskins? What a uh, worryometer for Cody Bellinger. Those guys are coming around. I would say the ones for me that I'm actually a little bit more concerned about are Joe Adele and Griffin Canning. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Muncie, Bellinger, Devers, even Hoskins to a degree. 
you could look at their numbers and say, okay, they're going to pick it up. It seems like they are. And you obviously need to have him in your lineup now. But Adele, just the fact he hit two home runs, I mean, it doesn't erase that he has a 41.1% strikeout rate. His XBA is actually 173. Ugh. Yeah. So it's going to take more than that for me to get interested in playing Joe Adele. This was Griffin Canning's best start since that very first start of the season when I excitedly decided he was back and must roster and all of that. Uh, 14 swinging strikes. I think that equals his number from that first start. It was against the Mariners. And the slider, he got three of the swinging strikes on the slider. It had been basically invisible for him all year, so that's not nothing, but it's still not like back to where it was last year. I'm I'm not sure I'm rushing to pick up Griffin Canning after this start based on the way the previous few went. He has 41% rostered. Scott, if you own Griffin Canning, he's going up against the Houston Astros this week. That other start that he had this season that was his only other quality start also came against the Astros. Would you start or sit Griffin Canning? Sit. How about some of these names? Dylan Cease was up against the Royals this weekend, four and a third. He only allowed one hit, one earned, six walks. Seemed like only a matter of time before uh, the command came back to bite Dylan Cease. Five strikeouts. He is at the Kansas City Royals again this week. Starter sit, Scott. I would probably start still. He gave it, what, two hits? Only one, one hit. hit, but six one walks. Hit. Yeah. Yeah, the control's been a blight for him, but He's still thrived for the most part with these easy AL Central matchups and gets another next week. Tariq Skubal, first solid start, was against the Twins of all team uh, all teams on Saturday. Five innings, two earned runs with only two strikeouts. 25% rostered. If you do have him, Scott, would you start him at the Twins this week? No. No. no Got to see more missed bats from him. Another angel that was great. Kind of helps when you face the Seattle Mariners. On Friday, Andrew Heaney. Seven and two-thirds, one earned, 10 strikeouts. 74% rostered. He's going up against the Padres this week. Starter sit, Andrew Heaney, Scott. I would sit with that matchup. He had 23 whiffs against the Mariners, though. Fastball, curveball, change-ups, all contributing a healthy number. Like, and he's doing, he's basically leveled off into doing the same thing he was doing last year with those three pitches all being effective, him getting a ton of swinging strikes, and yet the ERA is over four. Maybe better days are ahead, but Heaney still looks pretty fringy, even though he has a talent for missing bats. Tristan McKenzie. Four innings of two-run ball on Friday against the Cardinals uh, this past Friday. He is at Kansas City this week. Would you start Tristan McKenzie, Scott? I would, yeah. I mean, obviously the follow-up performance here was disappointment after that great, great debut he had. But Royals, much easier matchup. And, you know, it's not like he got pounded by the Cardinals. So I'd run him out there again. Dustin May is at the Texas. He was at the Texas Rangers on Friday. Six innings of two-run ball. Really does not get a lot of strikeouts, but he has been solid. He's allowed two runs or less in all seven of his starts. This season, he's going up against the Diamondbacks this week. Scott, would you start Dustin May? Yeah, I think so. I think I would. That's a good enough matchup. I, you know, The XFIP's not looking so great for him. So just keep that in mind. He's been bankable in terms of run prevention. He's a good ground ball pitcher. Has not been a big strikeout pitcher. And, you know, he, he may be overachieving some, but I do think the talent level is high enough that I give him the benefit of the doubt to a degree there and uh, probably stick with them in most leagues. The last name I wanted to mention here, Adam Wainwright, a complete game on Sunday against Cleveland. Two earned runs, nine strikeouts. He is at the Cubs this week. Would you start him, Scott? I would not start Adam Wainwright. No, sorry. I got confused there. Cleveland Cubs, you said. You just started against Cleveland and had that great start. Yeah, uh, he's he's a good matchups type because he goes deep into games, gets ground balls with the curveball. The nine strikeouts were a surprise. I wouldn't expect that from him again. But the Cubs matchup, 
that's not one I'd be using Wainwright in. Fair enough. There were a few other names that we didn't get to. Um, I know that there's a lighter schedule on Monday, so maybe we'll have some weekend leftovers that we can get to on the podcast we record Monday night. Heading into Tuesday, of course, Chris Paddock bounced back, as did McCullers, Carrasco, so I would like to talk about some of those guys. And Luis Castillo continues to not be good, so I think we'll talk about those names, but I did want to get to some bullpen stuff here, Scott. And the closer whisperer strikes again, Scott. You mentioned Gregory Soto. You thought he might be the guy. Saves on back-to-back days. Run some other names by you. Gregory Soto, Tyler Rogers, two saves this weekend. He is only 9% rostered. Who would you rather have between those two, Soto or Tyler Rogers? Are you sure it was two saves this weekend for Tyler Rogers or just... I? He picked up one on Sunday, I believe. Yeah, one on... one on. Okay, so I one on Saturday. Did he get one? Because Sam Coonrod got a save for the Giants on Sunday. I don't know. if Did they play a doubleheader? I don't think so. No, yeah. I don't think so. Rogers pitched the eighth. No. Setting up Sam Coonrod. Uh, Rogers did have a save earlier in August, but that was... No. Can't really, can't really tie those two together. Yeah, I think that's very much up in the air for the Giants. So... I just Tyler Rogers probably the leading guy there, but I'd rather have Soto for the Tigers. That makes sense. And apologies for getting that wrong regarding Tyler Rogers. The Orioles and the Blue Jays had a ton just going all over the place on Sunday. Anthony Bass allowed a the go-ahead run to score in the top of the ninth. Cole Sulcer then blew the save and he took the loss. He allowed two runs in the bottom of the ninth. Hunter Harvey was activated Sunday, but apparently will be eased into the role. For Baltimore, Scott, the next save opportunity for the Orioles will go to blank. I think it'll go to Hunter Harvey since since Solcer blew up, and you know I I thought that was a pretty surprising admission that they said he'll be eased into the closer role because he was never confirmed to be at the closer at the start of things. So they kind of played their hand stronger than they have before, and it was the, I think it was the bullpen coach talking, Darren Holmes, and not the manager. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt, maybe, but yeah, Hunter Harvey, I think is somebody who is worth picking up. If you're really hurting for saves, I'd still prioritize Gregory Soto over him, but probably Harvey over Tyler Rogers. Josh Hader blew a save on Saturday, five walks, two earned runs. If Hader were traded, I think Devin Williams would be the next man up. The numbers look phenomenal for Devin Williams, and he actually closed out that game on Saturday, so that's who I think it would be. Craig Kimbrell uh, blew another save on Saturday in Game 2 of their doubleheader. Three walks, two earned. Jeremy Jeffers had a clean save in Game 1, so I would assume that Jeremy Jeffers gets the next opportunity for the Chicago Cubs. Brandon Workman picked up two saves over the weekend. He now has three straight scoreless outings. Still giving up some hits and walks, but... The fact that he's not giving up runs is a step in the right direction for Brandon Workman. To stream or not to stream, we'll end with this, Scott. And your boy, Trevor Rogers for the Marlins, is going up against the Mets in that matinee game on Monday. Would you stream him? I won it. I won it. I kind of like the skill set there, but I need to see a lot more before I actually use Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Jacob DeGrom is on the other side. He is a must-start. Keegan Aiken, we spoke about. You're not streaming him here, right, Scott? Nope. Nope. Chase Anderson going up against the Orioles. I would not do that. Marco Gonzalez at the Angels. I think so. I think I'd go with Marco. Jaime Berea against the Mariners. He's had a couple good long relief outings, but it's even with that good matchup, it's too risky for me. Yeah, I think so. Dakota Hudson is at the Reds. Uh, I only in a points league. Anthony DiScofani on the other side against the Cardinals. No, he. I don't hate him as a two-start option this week, but as for that matchup individually, no. Eric Fetty at the Phillies. No. Spencer Howard against the Nationals. No. Tyler Glasnow and Garrett Cole are both must-starts. Max Fried is a must-start. Uh, Trevor Williams at the Brewers. No. Shane Bieber is a must-start. Brad Keller at home against Cleveland. Maybe. Yeah, I think I would. Even though he 
Didn't it go so well for him last time? I think it would. Lucas Giolito is a must start. And then on the other side is Rich Hill against the White Sox. Would you start him, Scott? It's a little scary, but I think so. All righty. That'll do it. He is Scott White. I am Frank Stanfield. Hopefully, we're both still here on the podcast by the next time you're listening to this. Who knows? Might get traded, right? Trade deadline is coming up on Monday. Where are you going with that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I expect more moves to happen. Uh, hopefully, uh, our teams are duking it out here. The Yankees and the Braves for Mike Levin here. We'll see if one of them winds up with him. Or if he even gets traded at all. Let's see what happens. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.